Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So before we get started today, I just want to say that last Sunday, if you were here, was probably a top five Sunday in the history of Collective. Now, we are only like 45-ish weeks old, but it was still top five. And so to be honest, if you weren't here, I'm sorry, but you actually missed out. Uh, you can go back, you can listen on the podcast, or you can watch it online. We do put all that stuff on media so you can check it out. Um, but last week in this series called Roots, we actually talked about baptism. And so we actually had a few baptisms planned that day, but we decided at the last minute to let people take that step if they were ready. And so originally we knew there'd be four people. And, and to be honest, I didn't tell anybody out here there'd be four people because if like no one else walked up, we'd be like, oh, there's still four people. And so but there are four people that already told us, okay, this is my day. This is when I'm doing that. And after we gave that opportunity, there were five additional people that made the decision right then to get baptized. And so last week we ended up having nine people profess their faith in Jesus and get baptized last Sunday. You can check out a picture, a collage of all of them. Uh, it, it, was, it was amazing. And like I said, it was one of the top five Sundays we've ever had here. But to take it a step further, I actually got an email Sunday night from someone who was here to watch their daughter get baptized. She invited her whole family. They all sat in the front few rows. And so he emails me and he says while he was watching her and watching other people take this step, he knew that he should stand up. Like he knew in his heart, like, man, I've got to go out there and I've got to do this thing. But there's some conflict in him. And he said he ended up just kind of freezing and not getting up and not making that decision. And so he emailed me and said, can you come do this? And so he's out of town the next few weeks. He's like, well, can you just come and do it at my house? And I was like, well, I'm not bringing the trough to your house because um, that thing's a beast. But ultimately, I was like, well, let's, let's find a hot tub. He goes, I have a hot tub. And so on Thursday, my wife and I, we actually drove to his house. And with his family there, including his daughter, who's around 22 years old, we got to watch him and I got to participate in his baptism. And so it was this incredible moment where you've got this daughter. Who, it, was, it was Megan. She was the first one who got baptized last week, who is the example for her own father in taking that step. And so the reason why I say this and share this with you is not if you weren't here to give you FOMO, although you should have a little bit of it. But the first is to celebrate the people who got baptized. If you weren't here, uh, there were nine people that stood up and said, I'm, I'm going to start following Jesus or I'm going to figure out what this looks like in my own life. Uh, and it was great. The second is this. If you were here last week and you felt that nudge but were too nervous or too unsure or had more questions, don't let that stop you from taking that step. Don't let last week be a moment in your life where you realize, I should have done this. I missed out on this opportunity. And for the rest of your life, you look back at that Sunday as like a missed opportunity. Because ultimately at Collective, if there are people who are ready to make that decision, we'll put that trough up here every single Sunday. And so if you're one of those people that's wrestling with that or struggling with that, or you're like, man, I feel like I missed out on that. What I'd love for you to do is check off baptism on the connection card. We can talk after service. Come find me. I'll be in the lobby or email me and we'll do it. Because ultimately last week was a great moment, but for some people... It'll be kind of this moment where you look back on and go, that was my missed opportunity, and it's not. Like I said, we'll set that thing up every single Sunday if that's what's needed and if that's what people need and want from us. And so you can check it off, but come talk to me. Ultimately, our goal at this church is to seek and save lost people, and that's Jesus' goal on this earth was to let people know that he is for them, that grace is real and forgiveness is real. And so every opportunity that we get to celebrate that and be a part of that, we're going to do it. And so don't hesitate. Check it off. Let's talk. So I believe that I'm luckier than most people when it comes to my faith. And here's why. I didn't grow up in the church. I never had my parents put me in the car and drive me to church against my will as a child. I never had to put on church clothes. 
I never had to go to Sunday school and be bored out of my mind. I never had to do those things. And so I think I'm lucky because I actually remember the first time I walked into church. I remember how it felt. I remember what I heard. I remember what I saw. I remember those details. But one of the disadvantages to this is that I had no idea growing up that different churches did different things. Like I I thought the church that I went to, I thought every church looked like that. And I've shared this story previously about the first time I went to a church where they use hymnals, these, these books that you actually sing out of. And I remember going to church and there were no lyrics on the screen and everybody's singing, holding a book. And I thought, how are they singing with their Bible? And I'm like looking around, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And everybody's singing and I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is like a special place where you know the special words and maybe it's scripture. Because at the time I, like, I literally had no idea. And so for me, that's, that's how I grew up. And so one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever had in church came when I was visiting a friend's church for the first time in college. So at the end of the church service, they passed trays of communion, just like we do here at Collective. And I grabbed my juice and I grabbed my piece of cracker. And then I proceeded to pray and spend a few moments with God. That's the way my church did it growing up. That's, that's the way I've always done it my entire life. And so when I was ready, I, I ate the cracker and I drank the juice just like I did at home. And when I was done, I opened my eyes and realized that no one else was taking communion. I awkwardly began to look around and saw that everyone was still holding their cup and still holding their cracker. And that's when the preacher said, let's take communion together. Then at the same time, everyone in that church took the cracker, put it in their mouth, and drank their juice. And so instead of me sitting there and like being obvious that I wasn't taking communion, I pretended I pretended to put a cracker in my mouth. I took a cup that was completely empty and I pretended to drink out of it. I panicked, okay, like I get that. And so after a church, I went to my friend Curtis and I was like, dude, you didn't tell me that your church did communion weird. I said, I took air communion. I looked like a moron. <laughs> to which he responded, isn't that how you always look? And so for me, like that, that was my first experience of realizing that different churches will do different things when it comes to communion or even other parts of a worship service. You know, some churches will take communion together. They'll do it all at one time. Some churches take communion and they actually put the cups back in the trays, which is like the most complicated thing ever. It's being passed, you're like taking it really quickly and shoving it in there. I've been in that church. I didn't do well in that church either. (laughs) In some churches, you'll walk up front, you'll tear bread and you'll dip it into a cup. Side note, Hawaiian bread makes delicious communion. It's not blasphemous to say that, I promise. But when it comes to communion, some churches will do it every Sunday. Some might do it once a quarter. Some might do it just once a year. In some churches, you actually have to be a member or go through classes before you can take communion. And so if you grew up in church or whatever experience you have, my guess is there are times in your life or maybe it was when you came to Collective and you were wondering, what's the deal with communion? And so for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Roots that's all about learning the origin of the church. And we've been specifically looking at how the first church came to exist, how they did community together, how they worshiped, how they served, and trying to figure out how does that connect to our lives today and how does that look in this church called Collective. And so for us, our our thought is this, if it was good enough for the first church that clearly did such a great job that we exist today, that means it's certainly good enough for us. And today I wanted to talk about the topic of communion. And so communion is often called the Lord's Supper, or maybe you've heard it called the Eucharist. And it's a small period of time where we actually pause and reflect and give thanks for the sacrifice that Jesus made when he died on a cross to pay the debt that our sin creates. And so at Collective, we give give people the opportunity to take communion every Sunday. 
we also practice what's called open communion. This means that you don't have to be a member here. You could be just visiting with friends. Like you can come from any place, any background, any church denomination, whatever it is, and you can be a part of this church and take communion with us. Ultimately, the idea is every person that wants to can. Because our ultimate goal is to look like the early church and how they approached these topics and how they celebrated communion. And so communion was originally instituted by Jesus right before he was arrested and crucified on a cross. Jesus and his disciples were in a place called the Upper Room in a house in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal, which is a Jewish holiday that commemorates Israel being delivered out of slavery. And so the Passover meal typically consisted of roasted lamb, bitter herbs, some unleavened bread, which means bread that won't rise, and wine. And so while the disciples know that they are in this room and they're about to celebrate Passover with Jesus, which is pretty awesome if you think about it, they're celebrating God delivering them out of freedom with the Son of God, they, they have no idea that Jesus is actually going to turn the tables, he's going to change their focus on the meal of Passover. And so this is what happens starting in Matthew 26, verse 46. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Now in there it says, they gave thanks, and actually this is the word eucharisto in Greek, which means to give thanks. So if you've heard that phrase before, it means this is a time where we are thankful, we give thanks. And it continues, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus takes this Passover meal, this thing that these guys have been doing for a very long time, and he focuses on two elements. He focuses on the bread and the cup. And what he does, he actually takes these elements of the Passover meal and he elevates them. He gives them new meaning. This is something that Jesus did throughout his whole entire ministry. He said, you've heard it this way. You've seen it this way. You've done it this way. But here's this new meaning. Here's this new way to do it. Here's this better and more fulfilling way to do it. And so Jesus does that with the bread and the cup. And so what he does is he takes the bread and he explains to his disciples that the bread was a symbol to represent that his body would be broken on a cross. When Jesus died on a cross, the story actually tells us that none of his bones were actually broken. And this was one of the prophecies from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament that was fulfilled when Jesus died. In Numbers 9:12, it says, they must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. This was later echoed in Psalm 34 that says, he protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. But the idea when Jesus tears this bread is this idea that his flesh is being broken, his flesh is being torn, and this is gonna happen during his crucifixion. And it's to symbolize by the breaking or tearing of bread. And during this crucifixion, a crown of thorns was shoved onto Jesus' head. He was whipped and beaten on his back. His hands and feet were nailed to a wooden cross. His side was pierced with a spear to make sure that he was dead. This was a brutal execution. And that's actually where we get the word excruciating from, is the type of pain that someone would experience during a Roman crucifixion. 700 years before Jesus came and died on a cross, there was another prophecy written by a man named Isaiah. And in this prophecy, he describes a man of suffering or a man of sorrows. And Isaiah 53 actually explains why this man, who is referencing Jesus, would have his body broken for us. Like, why would someone give up their life to do this? And, and Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
So the idea is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, for our rebellion against God. Jesus was our substitute. Jesus paid the debt that we couldn't pay ourselves. And this is what the bread represents when we take communion. Right after college, I started working in a church in Cleveland, Ohio. And one morning, we actually ran out of the crackers that we use for communion. We use these things called matzah crackers. And so being the intern, I was the one that was sent to the grocery store to find something to replace the crackers so we could have enough for communion that day. And so as I ran through the aisles of Giant Eagle, I finally came across the brand of crackers that we use. I grabbed them, ran to the front of the store, and paid. I eventually got back to the movie theater, put my gloves on, started breaking up the crackers and putting them into the cups. And I finished just in the nick time, right before communion started. And so before they went to pass it to everybody in the church, I actually grabbed my cups and I took a moment and I started to take communion. As soon as I put the cracker in my mouth, I realized that it had a spicy flavor to it. Assuming it was just me, I drank the grape juice, but the taste still lingered. So I ran back to the trash where I had thrown the box away in order to dig it out and figure out like what was going on. And I realized that I'd bought Mediterranean style matzo crackers. They were, they were so disgusting. But for the next few weeks, that's what we used for communion. It was pretty gross. <laughs> but the idea is the bread isn't about the flavor or type of cracker. It's about what it represents. It represents a perfect savior allowing his body to be beaten and broken so that we can experience forgiveness. This is why during communion we take a moment to take the bread or the cracker as a reminder of ourselves of what Jesus went through so that we could be forgiven. The other element in communion is the cup. And Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And let's be honest, if you're reading this and you jumped right in there, like, I'm going to read my Bible one day, and you turn to Matthew 26 and you read, this is the new covenant in my blood. You're like, no, thank you. And so it's kind of weird. So we've got to figure out what does this mean? Where does this come from? Why does this matter to us? And so during Passover, the cup that Jesus was referencing was filled with wine or any drink that was actually from the vine. And for the past two years, we've actually sent uh, two teams to Haiti to serve with a local church plant that we're partners with. And while plan planning the trips out, we always make sure that we go over a Sunday because we want that team to experience church. And so last year, we were driving on our way to church, and one of the leaders of the group turns around and said, hey, we're going to take communion today. He's like, it's not going to be grape juice. It's wine. And so immediately, some of the crowd were like, yes, this is great. You know, it's been like three days since they had wine, so they are panicking. And so we get there and we do communion and we get these little glass cups and we take this drink of warm red wine. I don't think there's anything more disgusting than red wine. I just, it's so gross. But we take this drink of red wine. I'm pretty sure this summer, our, we sent our intern this summer to Haiti. He's 19 years old. I think his first alcoholic drink came when he was taking communion in Haiti this summer. So better that than college, I guess. I don't really know. But at Collective, we don't use wine. We actually use grape juice. I know some of you are wishing we'd switch the wine. We're not doing that. Uh, but we use grape juice, and, and to be honest, there's not one right or wrong answer. One is not more right than the other. One is not more wrong than the other. One of the reasons that we use grape juice is because for us as a church, we want to be able, we want everybody to be able to participate in communion, even if they abstain from drinking. Because honestly, knowing this crowd and knowing our people, there are plenty of people that go to Collective that won't drink. Some people won't drink because they just don't like it. I would, I'd probably abstain from communion if it was red wine. I think it's disgusting. But for some people, it's because they're in recovery. And so our thing is we're a church for broken people. We're a church for messed up people. And part of that is there are people here that won't drink. And so for us, we use grape juice because we don't want anything to stop people from pausing and taking a few moments to reflect on what Jesus has done in their life. Our goal is not to be a stumbling 
block for that. And so Jesus says that this wine or grape juice represents a new covenant. And a covenant is a partnership or an agreement. It's a relationship between man and God, usually initiated by God. And so the idea of this new covenant is that the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross, which would actually happen the next day, it was a Thursday night when this happened, it would happen the next day, that the blood, of, that the blood shed by Jesus changed how we have a relationship with God. And so when Jesus was saying this, he's talking to these disciples, their knowledge of the Old Testament would actually bring them back to a story in Exodus when they talked about the original covenant that was created. In Exodus, there's this story where Moses takes a bull and he talks about a covenant with God that they are establishing. And so this covenant, this original one, the one in the Old Testament, was based on animal sacrifices because of the blood of these animals. And so in this story in Exodus, Moses sacrifices a bull and half the blood is poured onto an altar and the second half was sprinkled on the people to show that this is between you and God. And so in the Old Testament, there was this animal sacrifice system that was established where when you would sin, you would buy an animal, you'd have it taken to a priest to be sacrificed. That's how there was atonement for sin. The blood of the animal was shed for the forgiveness of those people. And that was the covenant. That was the promise. That was the relationship that God had established between himself and the Israelite people during that time. And so what God is trying to teach through that moment in the Old Testament is that sin costs something. That sin is very, very costly, that it costs life, that it costs monetarily, that it costs us something when we choose to walk out of alignment with God. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Why? Because sin has a cost. But when Jesus came and he died for everybody, meaning that when Jesus' shed was blood on the cross, there was a new promise. There's no longer any reason for the sacrifices of animals. Jesus said, if you put your faith in me, that's all it takes. He died once for the sin of all mankind. And so there's no longer need for sacrifices because Jesus' blood was shed to pay the price for every single person that calls on his name. And so when Jesus says, that's the new covenant, that's the new promise. That's the new relationship. A relationship with God established on the blood of Jesus. And that's what that cup represents. Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And what he's saying, communion is about thankfulness. It's no longer about, am I good enough? It's no longer about, am I worthy? Jesus called you worthy when he traded his life for yours. And so it's not about what you do. It's about what's been done by Jesus on the cross. And communion is a time where we say, thank you, Jesus, because I could never measure up. Because if it was up to me and what I do in my own life, I would fall short. And so communion is a time where we say, thank you, that I don't have to worry about eternity with God being about my performance, about what I do, about boxes that I feel like I have to check off. And so when you take the cup of, of grape juice at Collective, I would encourage you to remember Jesus saying, this is my cup. That's a new covenant, my new promise. This is why we take communion. This is why we remember. It's not literal body and blood. These are symbols to represent the sacrifice that Jesus made and as a reminder to us each week. Now, depending on if you've been to church before or how you grew up, you might have gone to a church that does communion differently than collective. And so here's the thing. We talked about this in week one of the series. If you weren't here, go check it out. Uh, but one of the core values of our church movement, of this movement called the Restoration Movement, is an essentials unity, and non-essentials liberty, and an all things love. 
And so the frequency of communion, the type of juice, the type of cracker, how the church takes it, those are all non-essentials. Those are all things that we can be different than other churches that are in this area. We can be different than how you grew up, and there's still unity in that. Because ultimately, it doesn't impact the character of God. It doesn't change salvation. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus atoned for those sins. It's just how you take communion. And so if you grew up in a church that did it differently, that's okay. The reason why we're teaching this isn't so that you feel this tension inside of your heart or wonder one's right, one's wrong. It's just saying, what did the early church do? Let's learn about that. But the number one, reason, or number one question that people ask me when it comes to communion at Collective is why do we do it every week? And so, and here's, here's why we do this. So Jesus instituted communion on a Thursday night during the Passover meal. And Jesus actually says to his disciples, whenever you do it, and so he's telling them, hey, this is going to happen. This will happen periodically. And this isn't a one-time thing. But Jesus actually never says, here is when I want you to do it. He never says, it's this day every single week. Jesus never says, this is how often I want you to do it. He wasn't actually specific. So that's where Acts 2 and the first church comes into play because we can see how that first church responded to this moment, how they responded to, to communion. So ultimately what happens is Jesus institutes communion. He dies and resurrects from the dead. He speaks to his people, then disappears. He ascends into heaven, right? He goes away. And then all of a sudden the church existed. And so for us, what we're able to do is we're able to look back at that first church and go, okay, how did they do it? For those people that were in that room that spent that time with Jesus and could ask the questions that we wish we could ask, how did they take communion? What did they do? And so in Acts 2, which is what we've been in this whole series, this is what it says. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Actually, in the same section, it continues. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And so through this, we see what did the early church do? In the early church, they regularly had meals together, and part of that was breaking bread. Now, most historians believe that communion just was a regular part of their gatherings, and it was often paired with a meal. It actually mirrored a lot of what they experienced during the Passover dinner. But as the church continued to grow and move out of homes and into houses of worship and into temples, we actually see that communion continued, and it was done regularly. Acts 27 says this, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And so Luke, who wrote this book of Acts, who was a follower of Jesus, he's talking in this moment about communion. He's talking about this idea of the Eucharist. That on the first day of the week, they came together for the purpose of remembering, for the purpose of being thankful that Jesus gave up his life for them. And they did this with consistency. And that's actually how most churches celebrated communion up through the late 19th and early 20th century. Catholics, Orthodox, and virtually all Protestant churches took communion every single week. And about 300 years ago, churches started to actually take communion out of the worship service. But at Collective, we actually choose to do it every Sunday. And mostly we do this in order to follow what the first church did, right? We've said it before, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. But there are also three main reasons why we do it every Sunday at Collective. And to be honest, like we, we do our best to make sure that every part of this service is something where if you've never been to church before, it all makes sense. And communion really is like the churchiest thing that we do. And so even though we know that communion can seem weird to you if you are new, we still do it every week. And here's why. Reason number one, I mentioned this earlier, up to about 300 years ago, there's proof that the Eucharist, communion, was the main point of worship. It was the centerpiece. It was the climax of a worship gathering together. And that changed when all of a sudden the sermon 
became the most important part of church services. In some cases, that actually came at the cost of communion. Preachers wanted more time. They cut communion. And so for the early church, remembering the death of Jesus was why they got together. The reason why that community existed, the reason why they had meals together was because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So for them, that was the center point. That was the main focus of why they worshiped together. And so for us, we want to make sure that it's always a part of what we do on Sunday. We want to make sure that it's a focal point. And it's important to note that when Luke wrote that they came together for the purpose of breaking bread, he didn't say they came together for the purpose of musical worship. He didn't say they came together for the purpose of preaching or even prayer. Those are all very important parts of the worship service. They actually did those things, and we know that. But that wasn't the main part. The main focus of worship for them was to remember and be thankful for the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offered. The second reason why we do it, it actually connects to the first, is that because everything that we do as a church points toward Jesus. So it doesn't matter what topic we preach on, whether it's forgiveness or dating or money or community or grace, the reason why those topics matter, the reason why those topics are powerful, the reason why we're willing to change our lives to follow what Jesus commands is because of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And so communion for us is a reminder of that every week. It doesn't matter what I say if Jesus never died on a cross and resurrected from the dead. So no matter what we talk about, it always points toward Jesus. Part of my job when starting Collective was to visit other churches, uh, churches that are like Collective, churches that are different. But the goal was to gain kind of a better perspective on the church in general. Like you guys know, I grew up in one solid church. I worked in one solid church. So for me, it was like I need to check other things out to see how church is done. But specifically, one of our goals is to gain a better perspective on churches in Frederick. And so my wife and I, we picked a bunch of churches all around Maryland and Virginia that we wanted to check out. Some of them we had friends that went to or we'd heard good things about. And so we went to go visit these churches. And there are multiple church services that we actually went to where Jesus wasn't even mentioned. And this wasn't because they weren't Christian churches. But by chance, we happened to show up on multiple occasions where they'd be talking about the Old Testament, the time before Jesus, and they never actually connected it to Jesus. They also happened to be churches that didn't take communion regularly, which we talked about. That's fine. That's up to that church. But something we wanted to make sure to do was always point everything we do back to Jesus. Every topic that we talk about, everything that we challenge you on, every application always points toward Jesus. Church on Sunday is about Jesus. Community during the week, while community is good, it's about Jesus. Serving in the community while serving is good is about Jesus. And so for us at Collective, we decided that communion is the thing that brings it all together for us in a way that we feel like is honoring God and maintaining our focus on what Jesus did for us. The third reason why we do it every Sunday is community. The word communion comes from the word community. And while we read the early church, they took it every time they got together. We could do that in our small groups during the week. We chose to do it on Sunday because this is the largest representation of this church. That the idea is that we come together on Sunday, that we worship together, that we spend time with God together, that we learn together, we take communion together, and then we scatter throughout the week into our lives and into our groups and into our jobs. And so for us, one thing that we wanted to do is just say, hey, we do it when we all come together. Because there really is something powerful and unique about a church body and a church family coming together to take communion as one united front before breaking out and going back into our, into our worlds. And so naturally, you know, every time I explain this to somebody, people always ask, don't you think that it loses meaning if you do it every week? And when I was in college, I was in a preaching class when someone actually asked this question, and this older, super wise dude dropped some major knowledge about this topic. And so the student asked, 
if you do it every week, doesn't it lose its meaning? And realistically, like, it can. Yes, yeah, if you do it every week, it, it very likely could. But this guy actually said, but that's not the reason for not doing it. He went on to say that we pray every Sunday. We sing worship every Sunday. Preachers certainly are going to preach every Sunday, right? They're not giving that spot up. We do offering every Sunday. You'd be hard-pressed to find a pastor who would say, we're going to take up offering once a quarter because I think it's more meaningful that way, right? Like they're willing to sacrifice other things, but that offering's every Sunday. And so the idea is just because you do something weekly doesn't mean it loses the importance. In fact, for us, we decided that it's a priority, and that's why we do it. In ancient Greece, there was a saying that time wipes out all things. And the Greeks actually pictured our mind this way. They said the mind is a slate and time is an eraser. And you might have stuff on that slate, but slowly over time, it wipes clean. And to be honest, I think Jesus understands that. I think Jesus recognizes that we're going to forget that in the hustle and bustle and busyness of life, the other responsibilities that we have, Jesus knows that we will forget how important his sacrifice is. And so he says, whenever you are together, do this in remembrance of me. He reminds them, don't forget about what it means in your life and in your community and in your church. And so a collective, we pause every week to remember Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. We give thanks for the forgiveness that he offers. And we do it because it matters. Because the reason why we're here is because of that. And so here's what we're gonna do. In just a few moments, we're gonna take communion. And uh, this is something that we do every week and something that we explain every single week. And the reason why we do it every week is because we want people to be able to take time to remember and to be thankful for the blood that Jesus shed so that we can be forgiven. And this is just a brief moment in a hectic week where we can pause. To be honest, this might be your one pause this week to spend a quiet moment with God. And so I encourage you to take that moment to focus on Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter how long you've been following him, no matter if you're a team member here or this is your first time that you've been here, no matter how you feel when it comes to God, you might feel far from God or close to God right now. The team's gonna come down, they're gonna pass trays and I would encourage you to take a stack of these cups The top cup has a piece of cracker in it that represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the bottom cup has juice that represents his blood. This is the new covenant. This is a new promise. That's not about whether or not you feel worthy because God calls you worthy. And so in a few moments, I encourage you to take those things and really pause. Really, really take the time to remember and be thankful. This doesn't have to be a moment where you feel all the guilt and shame from your week where you might've messed up or you might've walked off path because ultimately it's a moment where we thank God that we don't have to carry that around forever because he will take it from us. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you just to let it pass. But I want you to know that this isn't something that we do because of a ritual. It's not something that we do because we have to. It's something that we do every single week because there's a God who loves us and sent his own child to die to pay the debt that our sin creates. Instead of us taking on that punishment for ourselves, instead of it being our own blood, it's his. Jesus paid that price. And so communion is a reminder of that. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to let it pass, but take the next few moments to really wrestle with this idea that there's a God that believes that you are worthy, that there's a God who loves you, There's a God who's willing to give up his own son so that you can have a relationship with him, so that you can have hope, so that you can have peace, so that you can have grace, and so that you can have forgiveness. 
And so I'm gonna pray. And then after I pray, the team's gonna come down and pass the trays. And what we're gonna do is we'll sing a song after that. And I've actually instructed our team that we're gonna give it some more time. Usually on Sunday mornings, we just have a few quick moments. And so today talking about this topic, I've asked them to give us four or five minutes just to pause and reflect. Because ultimately for us, I would say everybody here would, (laughs) if you're being honest, would say you need those moments. You need those quiet moments to think and reflect and wrestle with this and, and, and talk to God and be with God and figure out what does this mean in your own life this week? So I'll pray, we'll take communion, we'll sing one more song together. God, thank you so much um, for reminders. Uh, God, I, I know in my own life, if, <laughs> if it's not on my phone reminding me, I forget. And God, I was just so thankful that you knew us and you knew people and you knew that there are times when we're just not gonna remember. And that's not because it's not important to us, it's not because it doesn't matter, but because sometimes we just forget. And so God, we're just so thankful that that you created this thing and you made, and you gave meaning to this idea of bread in a cup so that each week we can pause and we can remember and we can be thankful for what you did for us, for the ways that you loved us, for the ways that you sent your own son to give up his life for us so that we don't have to pay the price. It was not our blood, but his. God, we thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us even before we ever existed. God, you knew that being crucified on that cross was gonna be for this room and this group of people and the people in our community, the people in our city. God, we're just so thankful for that. God, thank you for the early church, the example that they set, that everything that they did, God, was all about your son. God, I pray that we can be that church as well. We love you and pray these things in your name.